So, Dr. Joe Pizzorno, welcome to Australia, first for the uh, 2015 Biocidical Symposium. A few quick questions and then a little bit more in depth. Okay. Uh, firstly, how do toxins damage the body? Ah, so kind of the two ways. One is they all do one thing, pretty much all of them do this one thing, and that is they increase oxidative stress in the body. So when we say oxidative stress, what we're talking about is basically free radicals and things of this that indiscriminately damage the body. And the body has protective mechanisms like a molecule called glutathione. And so the more chemicals people are exposed to, the more they use up the glutathione. And glutathione is important not just for detoxifying the chemicals, but also it's important for protecting our mitochondria uh, from damage so we don't lose energy as we get older. It protects our DNA from damage so we don't get cancer. So the chemicals have all these non-specific damaging effects. But also each of them has their own unique damaging effect. So if we look at mercury, for example, mercury is particularly toxic to neurological tissues. If we look at cadmium, for example, cadmium is particularly damaging to, to the thyroid. If you look at organophosphate pesticides, Okay, well, these things decrease the IQ in children and increase the risk of uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And what about, what's toxic load? So toxic load is kind of adding up all together, all the metals you have in your body, all the chemicals in your body. Also, some things people don't often think about is if they have the wrong kind of bacteria in their gut, those bacteria secrete chemicals into our body that adds to our toxic load. So basically, toxic load is any chemical or metal in the body that we can't use nutritionally that damages our body, it would be a call to toxin. And toxic load isn't just an additive thing, is it? Correct. It's not just additive. So it's not one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals three. And the reason for that is that the our ability to detoxify these things is limited. So we saturate our detoxification mechanisms, but also then we have our antioxidant mechanisms, they get saturated as well. So once you start saturating these, the damage goes up more quickly. So for example, if you look at the amount of mercury in a person's brain and look at the number of fillings in their mouth, the silver, so-called silver fillings, which are 55% mercury, well, up to about 12 fillings, you get a linear increase in mercury in the brain. But once you get to 20, you don't just get double, you get three times as much mercury in the brain because now you've, bi you've overloaded the bill of the brain to get the mercury back out again. And I know this is a, a massive question, but what are some of the more common symptoms of toxic exposure that you know, might alert you to say, I need help? Good question. Um, by far the most common are depression and fatigue. Okay. Now, it can be a wide range of things, but depression and fatigue are by far the most common. As a matter of fact, you look at uh, mercury, uh, the most common symptom of excess mercury found in 73% of people with excess mercury is depression. Now, I, this refers to the overarching um, paradigm of the symposium, and that is inflammation, oxidative stress, and immune dysfunction. Yes. And included in there is the, the problems with the gut, the right. dysbiosis. So therefore, how would you generally treat toxicity? Ah, there, so there's, you might say there's three, th three ways to do that. Number one, and always most important, is simply decrease exposure. So you eat organic grown foods, eat small fish that are low in mercury. Uh, when using health and beauty aids, make sure that the low chemical health and beauty aids rather than the high health and beauty aids. So uh, high chemical health and beauty aids. So always decrease exposure, number one. <clears throat> number two is facilitate the body's own natural mechanisms for getting rid of toxins. Our bodies are remarkable. They're very good at getting rid of toxins if we give them the chance. 
So number one, you have to make sure you have enough nutrients in your body so the enzymes that detoxify work properly. That means a good quality vitamin and mineral supplement that has nutrients in it. The other part is we have to have fiber in our gut. A lot of the toxins are eliminated through the liver and dumped into the gut. If there's not enough fiber there, we get something called enterohepatic recirculation, so fibers get reabsorbed back in, the toxins get reabsorbed back into the body. So fiber is very, very important. Then if for a person with high, very high levels, then sometimes you want to use more aggressive intervention. Ranging from drugs, for example, like if a person has high levels of mercury, I'll use a drug called DMSA that gets mercury out of the body. There are vitamins we can prescribe, like uh, N-acetylcysteine. N-acetylcysteine increases the production of glutathione to help protect us from oxidative stress. Also, glutathione binds to chemical toxins and gets them out of the body. So we use nutritional supplements uh, uh, somewhat aggressively, but they're also very effective. But you prefer N-acetylcysteine instead of glutathione. The glutathione is what we want, but right. not what you give. Yeah, the problem is if you take glutathione as a supplement, uh, it gets broken down by the bacteria in the gut. And so you, you get cysteine from it, but you don't get glutathione. So it's a lot less expensive to use N-acetylcysteine uh, rather than glutathione to elevate glutathione levels in the blood. And you spoke about bacteria in the gut. I did. You use those as a therapy. Most people don't realize, and I have to say, this was a surprise to me, because uh, I didn't know this until a year ago, and that is uh, one-third of the small molecules in our blood actually come from bacteria in our guts. So if you have good bacteria, those molecules are things like B vitamins. If you have bad bacteria, those things are those are things like indoles and skatols, another name for which are putrazine and cadaverine which gives an idea of Lovely names. What, yeah, what they mean, <laughs> what they're doing to your body. So good bacteria, good chemicals, bad bacteria, bad chemicals. I, hit, I know it's a simplification, but it's pretty true. And putrazine and cadaverine are two chemicals that are released from rotting fish. Is that right? <laughs> well, it can, kind of any rotting protein. So they come from tryptophan, amino acid tryptophan. And as you know, tryptophan is a really important nutrient for our bodies. Uh, we use tryptophan to produce, for example, serotonin, which helps us feel better. We use... Um, well, I mean, we use tryptophan for, for lots of things. Mm. But the problem is the bacteria are using it instead and producing all these adverse chemicals, then the tryptophan is not there for us to use as an essential and important amino acid. So over the past five years or so, I've seen more papers in higher level medical journals mm -hmm. discussing or expressing concern about you know, POPs and, and other environmental toxins. Um, that I've seen in the previous 15 years, yes. it, it seems that it can no longer be swept under the carpet. Yes. Is the medical community finally waking up to the issues of toxins in our environment? No. The uh, research community is, the medical community, no. I mean, you may have noticed that um, the uh, magazine article that was just published recently here in Sydney from an interview that I did, and of course, they looked, contacted the local medical doctor expert and who poo-pooed much, much, much of what I had to say. So the medical profession doesn't get it yet, but they will because the research is so, so compelling. Joe, we heard you talk in one of your lectures about the prevalence of diabetes, and which is already a huge issue in our, in our modern day society due to our sedentary lifestyle and other factors. And it's also set to explode over the next 20 years, but you introduced some new concepts that it may not be necessarily due to the factors that we would normally attribute to diabetes. Ah, good one. So these uh, chemical toxins, uh, many of them, and they're called persistent organic pollutants, Many of them actually act as insulin receptor site poisons. So normally in the cells you have these insulin receptor sites, insulin binds to them and says, okay, cell, absorb the sugar. Well, if they're bound by chemicals, the insulin doesn't work as well anymore. And so the correlation between chemical load and diabetes has become so strong, researchers are now calling these things diabetogens. So specifically what's happening is that if you look at the total chemical load, 
people in the top 10% of chemical load have a 20-fold increased risk of diabetes. That's bigger than any other factor we've known about in the past for diabetes, such as sugar consumption, uh, lack of exercise, obesity, et cetera. Lead is a huge issue, particularly in rural Australia mining communities. Mm. Uh, I remember a, a, a newspaper article saying, get bled for lead in a oh, mining yeah. town called Mount Isa. Okay. And they had such problems actually getting the children tested wow. because people were so complacent. They just knew it was high. But there's really big issues about its prevalence, not just in the mining community, but let's say in changing economic times, mm. people are redoing old houses, which yes. were painted with lead paint. Yes, exactly. What's happening? So tell me. Yeah, that. so lead is a problem. And it's fascinating watching the research on how much lead is supposedly okay for us. And about 50 years ago, it was, well, 60 uh, um, micrograms per decaliter was considered to be safe. Well, every decade has gone down, and now it's 10. And even between 5 and 10, you get an inverse correlation between children's IQ and lead exposure. You also get, for in adults, you get uh, increased all-cause mortality between 5 and 10, and uh, increased cardiovascular disease, and increased hypertension. And anything above 10, of course, it's worse. So it's a, there's a direct dose-dependent relationship between any lead exposure and any health in humans. So I would say anybody in an area where they think they may be exposed to lead, you better find out how much lead you've got, better decrease your exposure, and you better get the lead out of your body as quickly as you can because it is hurting your health. So how do you discern, you know, the obvious thing would be mining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we just go, yes. Right. But then you go to Melbourne, mm-hmm. an older town, some lovely right. old houses, right. but we need to redo it because we can't sure. afford to buy a new one. How do you then say, ah, there's a real issue there. This is patient history taking. How do you... Sure. So if they're doing work on a house... Now, in the U.S., it's a house built before 1980 because that's when lead was moved from paint. I don't know what data... It's around about that, yeah. About that time. So any house that's older than 1980, uh, particularly if it has white paint, because white paint has the highest level of lead... Then uh, you're going to see you're going to see problems. So you you send that you send that lead pa- lead paint down, and that lead's going to go in your body. And actually, I had a patient like that, a young man who uh, was in college and was relatively healthy, but then every fall he get really sick. And she so came to me and said, "What's going on?" I said, "What do you do for work?" He says, "Well, I paint houses during the summer in order to pay for school." And so I followed this kid for five years. And while I was throughout school, yeah. and we get the lead out, and then he worked during the summer doing the lead painting. I'm, I'm doing the, doing the uh, painting, and he got all these really high lead levels, and he get really sick. So anyway, he improved himself so much that after he graduated from college, he enrolled and became a naturopathic doctor. <laughs> really, it made such a big. You know, wow. he, he got the connection. He said, "Wow, this this lead is really hurting me." Well, I wonder if other toxins hurt other people as well. And he became a naturopathic doctor. So he was painting um, to fulfill his painting job. He was right. actually having to sand back yeah, old we, lead. Right. He, was making, he was making a living during the summer, uh, uh, basically uh, painting old houses and, and you know, scrubbing down the paint and sanding it and all those kinds of things. And one other thing to consider, if you want to have a garden, don't have your garden next to your house if your house was older than 1980 because uh-huh. every time they would sand the outside of the house, where do you think all that paint was going? It was mm. going right into the garden. Right. So don't have a garden next to an old house. Redo the soil. Or, or else just take out all the soil, put yeah. the soil in. Yeah. And going along that is, again, with the changing financial times and people putting in a garden to try and grow some veggies, mm-hmm. and then they, uh, there may be a, an increased risk of load with arsenic, which is a massive issue in the U.S. Not right. so much good data in Australia, yeah. but I, I see an issue there as well. What, what's your... 
Um, I, I have to admit, I'm not as knowledgeable about arsenic as I should be. And the reason is that the, um, the, I did a corporate wellness program in Canada with 4,500 oil field workers. And so I was very, very sensitive to them for chemical toxicity as well as metals. I was seeing, seeing mainly uh, lead and mercury. So I was more aware of that. And now as I looked up more research, I'm realizing that there's more arsenic there than I realized. And we simply weren't using the right diagnostic criteria to pick up the arsenic. So I think arsenic is a big issue and I'm so, something I need to study more. I, I, I remember seeing a program a few years ago and it was saying talking about the toxic load in their children and it was um, uh, what they thought was because they redid all the gardens with these treated pine. Oh, so yes. So it uh, it's called CCA, right, kind of right. chrome copper arsenic. Yeah, if you look at children, um, because children, uh, you know, toddlers are crawling around on the floor, uh, that dust on the floor actually has a lot of toxins in it. So you look at... Um, for example, we give kids have kids wear clothing that has these flame retardants in them. Well, those flame retardants, of course, they break, the fibers break down and it ends up dust, and these kids have very high PDBE levels because of these um, flame retardants. We always think about toxins being exogenous and, and alien, right. like these heavy metals and things, but it doesn't always have to be that way. What about, right. Can you talk about salt and wheat? Sorry. So I've, I've broken toxins into three categories, uh, what I call exogenous toxins. These are toxins from the environment. Then endogenous toxins, the toxins come from within, primarily from the raw bacteria in our gut. And then what I'm calling toxins of choice. So it depends upon a person's genetics, but also depends upon quantity. Uh, things people put in their mouths that we don't normally think of as toxins can be problematic. And a good example of that is salt. So it turns out when you're consuming too much salt, it makes the body too acidic. Now you might say, well, salt's neutral, how can it make the body acidic? Well, what it does is it decreases the kidney's ability to get rid of acid, and so the body becomes more acid. Turns out that salt consumption is a very strong predictor of osteoporosis, kidney stones, um, diabetes, loss of muscle strength as you get older. Uh, so too much salt is really a problem. And same thing with wheat, and that is according to a person's genetics, uh, eating wheat can cause excess gut permeability, which then allows more toxins from the gut into the body. And I'm imagining that any naturopathic student could gain a lot of this uh, knowledge mm -hmm. by reading your textbook of natural medicine, which you and, and Michael Murray are so famed for. Well, thank you. Yes, the textbook of natural medicine has good content in it, but actually um, a more current textbook I just finished called, well, not just finished, it's two years old now, called Clinical Pathophysiology. I wrote with one of my students, uh, Joseph Katzinger, one of my graduates. And uh, we actually have um, a really strong chapter on the whole issue of toxicity. We do a lot in there about the uh, environmental toxins as well. Wonderful. Dr. Joe Pizzorno, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure to talk with you today. This is FX Radio, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Mm -hmm.